He's amused Cam Newton. Just ask that question one more time. He's been insulted by Charles Barkley. When some idiot in the press asked him, if you know what you know now, what you have scheduled this game. He's interviewed Matthew McConaughey. I do say go Tarion. And he's taken on Big Blue Nation. I see, he's just completely taken the wind out of my sails. <laughs> it's time for the drive with Josh Graham. We've made it to a Friday drive. WSJS News Talk Sports for the Triad. For this weekend, we've got two ACC football games being played in our own backyard and two that are quite a ways away in Pittsburgh and in Louisville. But let's start with the team that's ranked number 13 in the country. And word to the Tar Heels, can you please beat somebody without being dramatic about it? Because they've been like the high school teenager all season long. Here's what I'm picturing, WD. I'm picturing the plastics and Mean Girls. Since you watched the Rachel McAdams Wedding Crashers movie a couple days back, that might be next on your list. I take it you haven't seen Mean Girls before? I have not. Okay. Noted. Going to write that down. Maybe we can introduce you to Regina George sometime soon. WD is the executive producer of this show. And sure, getting back to Carolina... The Tar Heels, they've done what's asked of them, but there's always a yeah, but. There's always something that comes with it. It's never easy. This season, Carolina has played games. They've won nine games this year, so they've played 10 overall, and only one of them has come easy. That was Virginia Tech, which is the worst team in the entire league. Oh, but Josh, they won handily against Florida A&M. They beat FAMU bad. They took care of business against Pittsburgh. There was no drama in those games, right? Wrong. I was at the FAMU opener. And I seem to remember with about 10 seconds left to go in the first half, it was only a one-touchdown game, and Carolina had to play 60. Pittsburgh, WD was there. They led by, what, 10 points in the second half? before Carolina went on that run and made it look a lot better than what it was? If North Carolina is legitimately one of the dozen or so best teams in America, you've got to take care of your business when you play teams like Georgia Tech. Especially without their quarterback, Jeff Sims. Without Jeff Sims in the lineup, Carolina should win this game and they should be able to pick a number. Hey, we're going to win by this many points. With Jeff Sims in the lineup, Georgia Tech's a 500 team. They're one of the 10 best teams in the league, I think, when he's healthy. They're 3-3 three and three in games that he has started and finished. Without him, the only team I think that's worse is Virginia Tech. Without him, they get beat last weekend by Miami by 21 points, by three touchdowns. That terrible Miami team. Beat Georgia Tech by three touchdowns. Good teams win. Great teams cover. And the line is fittingly 21 points for tomorrow night's game. Here are my expectations. North Carolina is going to start slow because you're still feeling the remnants of a celebration, winning the Coastal Division, and everybody's telling you you're awesome. And looking ahead to NC State and looking ahead to Clemson, there's some look-ahead factor but the Tar Heels are going to end up winning this game by three scores. Will they cover? Eh. We'll see. 
North Carolina, 38. Georgia Tech, 21. As for Wake Forest, they should beat Syracuse tomorrow. Whether or not they will is a completely different matter because they likely should have beaten Carolina last week and State the week before that and certainly Louisville the week before that. The ACC Network studio show The Huddle will be broadcasting live from Winston-Salem all day tomorrow and ESPN's Jen Latta who's been working on a Sam Hartman feature for the last couple of months. She's going to join the show in a little bit less than 10 minutes. Right across the parking lot from Truist Field, the Carolina Thunderbirds will be at home this weekend. Wait, what is this? What could that mean? It's not even March. What? Is no. this the March Madness music? But we have action specifically it's live action Tracy. right now oh boy wake forest they're down in jamaica but they're not on vacation no 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 no. they are playing right now they are they? playing in the jamaica classic they just came out of the half and the deeks they lead it by a point right now andrew carr leads scoring for the deeks right now with 10 Our who guy, are they playing lasalle forgot oh, to mention that the explorers yeah of LaSalle, okay. Ty Appleby's got five points. Davey Williamson's got two. How many points does Ty Appleby have? Hold one minute. I got to cut my music when we do this. You got to be ready. You got to be ready, WD. I got five. Though. If you're going to interrupt me with Ty Appleby having five points, you got to tell us what he's got. I got five. Though. Okay. So I guess we're doing that today. Wake Forest by won. one. Yeah. What I was trying to say, though, the Carolina Thunderbirds are going to be at home this weekend. We've got two chances for you to win tickets on the show. When you hear the cue, it's your you call in this hour and later on in the show as well. 336-777-1600. Save the phone number. You will have multiple chances to win tickets to tomorrow night's game at the Winston-Salem Fairgrounds Annex. Speaking of ACC basketball, I was going to get there. I got fired up. <laughs> Our show is going to be shortened today, 30 minutes, due to Duke basketball pregame. But the marquee game tonight is Virginia and Baylor. Of course, our hearts are still with the folks in Charlottesville. Virginia wasn't. Virginia didn't play their home game Monday night against Northern Iowa the day after the tragic events transpired over there. But this is a valuable data point that we have tonight. Because this really is a top 10 matchup. Virginia's ranked 16th, but I, there are not 10 teams in the country better than this Virginia team. And Baylor's ranked 5th, and they are rightfully ranked there. There are adults playing on both of these teams. You don't see that across college basketball. It's a bunch of young teams trying to figure it out, and hopefully you're peaking when it matters most in March. Not with Virginia and Baylor. A lot of guys who have been around and... Thus, this is a really important game, and it's a telling game being played in Vegas. The ACC really could use a win. A win. It's been a bad week PR-wise for the ACC. Florida State's 0-3. Louisville's 0-3. Duke lost in the Champions Classic to Kansas. A win in Vegas for Virginia could go a long way knowing that you have a legit title contender in North Carolina and another down there in Charlottesville. That isn't to say there aren't landmines tonight, though. Don't really think Duke has a problem with Delaware, the Blue Hens coming in, but FSU might start 0-4. They're at home tonight, but you got Florida coming in. 
So that's far from a gimme. Bellerman, who's going to be in Cameron on Monday night, a week after it took down an ACC team in Louisville, they're at the Clemson Tigers. That's another winnable game for Bellerman. Boston College, they are facing George Mason in the Bahamas tonight. Boston College. Last night had a Friendsgiving, first ever Friendsgiving that I had. Someone <laughs> came up to me at it and said, Man, Boston College. I can't unsee that video. <laughs> I mean, it and is. Every time you play it on the show, now that image is just stuck in my head. Yeah. Boston College. Boston College. There it is. And as WD mentioned, the second half just getting underway. Wake Forest up four on LaSalle. ESPN's top features reporter, Jen Latta, believes she's in Bozeman, Montana, where college game day is going to be tomorrow. She will tell us about Sam Hartman's side of the story just from a few months ago. The story that she's been working on for a few months now that's going to air tomorrow on the ACC Network when Jen joins us next on The Drive. Check this out. We're on at five. The perfect blend of sports and pop culture happens this evening at six with the Rich Eisen Show. Okay, let's get this show rolling. Now back to The Drive with Josh Graham. Starting at 10 a.m. tomorrow, the huddle on ACC Network. Eric McClain, Jordan Cornette, and the guys will be broadcasting from Winston-Salem at Truist Field leading up to the 8 o'clock Wake Forest-Syracuse game where you could argue the greatest quarterback in Wake's history going to be playing his final game in Winston-Salem and Sam Hartman. And tomorrow on the huddle show in the morning, Jen Latta will have a story that I've been waiting for somebody to tell for the last few months or so, ever since we learned about what Sam was going through back in August and some of the uncertainty that was in the air, whether or not he would play this season, whether he'd be able to play at all again. Jen Latta now joins us from ESPN. Again, you can watch that on ACC Network tomorrow morning. Jen, I remember the day we learned about it. Dave Clawson met with us in the media, and he said numerous times, this is a great story to tell, and you're all going to learn it whenever the story is told. It seems like you have that story, so I'll ask you, what makes it such a great story? Oh, there's so many things. And first of all, thanks for having me on, guys, to talk about this story. Sure. You know, I think you're right. You know, Sam Hartman is, by all accounts, the heartbeat of that Wake Forest team. He has been for so many years. We're seeing a lot of athletes now who are um, have stuck with their program. You know, even though we're in this age of the transfer portal and and guys making the jump to the pros, that COVID year it feels like is make is letting us know some of these guys better than we ever would. You know, some of these guys who have are sticking around for a sixth year because of that COVID year and and just who love the what college football offers and just the environment of college football. And I think I say all of those things as a preface to that's who Sam Hartman is. You know, we were introduced to Sam, if you're a football fan, years and years and years ago when he was on the show QB1, uh, Beyond the Lights, you know, one of those like Netflix-type shows, and you're getting to know these young kids who might be the future faces of programs. And Sam has always been a football guy. He has, He breathes the sport. He eats sleeps and breathes the sport. And I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know. 
So when he got the news that his football career may be over because of this medical situation he found himself in, I mean, you can imagine he was devastated. Um, his family was very upset. You know, we always talk about your health is first and foremost, the priority, mental health, and extension of that, of course. But like the thing that Sam told us, and we will reveal tomorrow on the ACC network what in fact it was that Sam was dealing with and all of the symmetry that came together to make this story just really remarkable. But he sat there in that hospital room and he recharted his life, guys. I mean, he told us how he's a, he's a fisherman. He's always loved fishing. It has given him peace. And so there were there were some hours, a day or so in there, where he had recharted his whole plan. He was going to you know, move down to where his parents are. He was going to buy a fishing boat. He had the name of the fishing boat all picked out. And he was going to, you know, spend the next few years of his life living on a fishing boat. And that would be his existence because he couldn't imagine staying at Wake Forest continuing to watch the football team go on without him. And so ultimately, you know, his, his, his journey took a, a great turn where he was able to get back on the field in kind of this really heroic fashion. But we're talking about somebody who was told at one point that he may be done playing the game that he loves, that has defined him for so long. And so you can imagine that that was a really difficult and challenging moment for Sam Hartman. Take me back to that day in August, though. I believe it was a Tuesday evening when it happened. We didn't learn about it until the following morning. But when I started to visit with coaches off the record and folks who were over there about what exactly happened, they wouldn't ever get into specifics, of course. But the thing that they kept going back to was there were a few hours there on that Tuesday where they had no idea what was going to happen. And there was real concern in that Wake Forest facilities, uh, in those facilities. What exactly were you told about that night? Yeah, so the great news is, um, you know, in on college game day and in this space, and I'm sure you're the same way, like you build relationships with these people. And as you, uh, you know, mentioned on Twitter this morning, we had sat down with Sam Hartman last year to tell the story of his brother dying by suicide. And these are heavy stories that we tell full of a lot of emotion. You have to build a trust with these athletes and with their families. And we were fortunate enough to have done that with him last year. So when this went down, I immediately reached out to Sam, not as a journalist, but as somebody who had developed a relationship with him and his family to say, hey, man, whatever you're going through, like we're praying for you. You know, you got a fan in us for life for what he has been through and what he and his family have overcome. And it was just like, if you ever want to talk about it, you just let us know. And at the time, he did keep it very close to the vest. And I'm sure it was because there was a lot of uncertainty about what his future held. And so um, the good news is that then, you know, we did reach out to him a little bit later as things started to make a turn. And that's when he was like, this is going to be one hell of a story when I get the chance to tell it. It was very clear that they still wanted to clear some hurdles. Um, to get him back out on the field. But what I can tell you is the doctors that we spoke to about what Sam was facing, they all say his recovery and his rehab was remarkable. Like for what he was dealing with, they tell people like three month recovery time minimum, you know, um, and so you expected that like he would have missed the rest of this college football season, but they gave him a glimmer of hope. And with Sam Hartman, that's all he needs, right? He just needs that one little uh, story or iota of, well, there was this one person who recovered from this in three weeks or four weeks. And that's all that Sam needed was that carrot to be dangled in front of him to say, well, if that guy did it, 
I can do it as well. And then pushed himself through the rehab process to get back out there on the field with his guys. Because Josh, that's what's most important to Sam Hartman. He loves spending time with his teammates. He loves the camaraderie. He loves the relationships that he has developed and has with those other athletes. And that was the thing he would have missed the most had football been taken away from him. Ben Latta is with us here from ESPN. And you've the story tomorrow you can watch on ACC Network on the Huddle Show in the morning. And you've, you're right. Building relationships is such an important thing. And you had that story on his brother, Dimitri, last year at Elon. And you told that story so well. Um, I know for College Game Day, our friend Andrea Adelson is in Charlottesville working on some stuff. And I can't imagine trying to explore that space and try to tell player stories when that program's hurting so much. But when you are a reporter and you're trying to build relationships but also tell a story, how do you go about earning the trust of Sam Hartman and his family and ensuring them that the story that you're going to tell is a fair one and a true one? I think, Josh, it goes back to personal integrity. Um, and, and that's not me saying like, oh, I'm so great. It just means that that's something I take very seriously. Um, I have said for years, they're not my stories to tell. So it doesn't matter how I want to, you know, dramatize these moments. It's, it's being respectful and honoring the stories of these people who have actually gone through it. And I think, you know, you do gain some equity um, and you gain some momentum when you do a good job on one story and then you do a good job on another story. And, you know, I can't even tell you the number of people who, when I've set foot in their living room, they mentioned to me that they saw another story that we had done. Or when they heard that I was assigned their story, they Googled my name and then watched some of the pieces that we have done on College Game Day. And we have an exceptional reputation. Um, one, we have some of the most talented people in the college football space on that show. Um, but two, everybody holds themselves to a really high standard. And nobody wants to be the weak link. Try saying that twice. Weak <laughs> link in the chain. And so I think we're really lucky, you know, to, to you have the support of the ESPN brand. You have the support of the College Game Day brand. You have a reputation that you have cultivated now. I've been on the show for seven years of telling, you know, not just powerful stories, but authentic and honest stories. And, and listen, I'm going to just, I'm going to break some, a little bit of news here. Um, I was assigned the story in Charlottesville on Monday. Obviously wow. Monday was a chaotic day and, you know, we're trying our best to figure out how to cover that again with integrity, how not to stick cameras in the faces of people who are grieving, who have these fresh wounds as they go through tragedy and trauma. And I got on the plane to go down there on Tuesday morning, and I have been recently have gone through tragedy in my own life where my dad passed away one month ago. And it was a moment of clarity for me, Josh, where I said, you know what, from a mental health standpoint, from a protecting my peace standpoint, I actually cannot. I am incapable right now of going into that space, going to Charlottesville and experiencing what I perceive to be just a deluge of collective grief that that community is currently going through. And so I had to call my bosses and say, given what I have been through recently, given kind of the way that I have powered through week after week after the death of my own father, I don't think it's in my best interest to be the person in that space. I think I would be spending most of my energy, Josh, trying to compartmentalize, 
to suppress some of the emotions that I was experiencing personally. And to your point before, I don't think that would have been fair Mm. to the people who were going through their own tragedy and their own trauma this week. Thank you so much for sharing that. And in addition, admired your work for a very long time. And when I heard a month ago, got word that you were in town and we're talking to folks, I knew the story was in really good hands and I've been waiting to see this story for about a month now and I can't wait to watch it on the huddle tomorrow. Thank you for spending the time and I hope to see you face-to-face sometime soon, Jen. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate you letting us um, you know, tell people about the story, um, promote the story. I am a huge fan of Sam Hartman's for everything he has done, obviously, on the field and for the program and the recognizability of the Wake Forest uh, football team, but also just for the person that he is. I think he's one of those guys who's easy to root for. And our goal every week on College Game Day and all of our other storytelling platforms is to get you to root for somebody who you don't know who you have no reason to root for. They aren't in your conference. They aren't in your, in your peri- they're, you know, they're a peripheral player who you may have heard of, but you don't know anything about. And here's why you should be rooting for them going forward. So I think we're going to continue to do that for Sam tomorrow morning. Follow her on Twitter at Jen Latta. Watch it tomorrow on the huddle. Thanks again. And best of luck to you. Thanks, Josh. One, three. You're on the air. Wake up with Jeffrey Griffin and Triad today. Weekday mornings at 7. Now back to The Drive with Josh Graham. Let's talk some college football before we get to Dave Pulaski, voice of our high school football game of the week. Because this stat I find pretty interesting. The narrative, a word I say in jest because of how annoyed People use that word. How annoying it is to me that people use that word so casually. It almost seems like people use that word to sound intelligent. It means I don't really like using it, but in this case, it's exactly what the word means. The narrative about North Carolina is they haven't played anybody. That's right. That's why they're ranked 13th in the college football playoff rankings. This stat was just put out there by Danny Cannell. The opponent's collective records are as following. TCU's combined opponent record, 52-48. and 48. That's the combined record of the teams that have played TCU. Ohio State, 49-52. and 52. So the combined, they have losing records. Same thing with USC, 46-54. and 54. Michigan, it's even worse, 45-57. and 57. North Carolina's... The opponents for North Carolina's collective record this year is 53-41. and 41. Now, there's a lot of context that's needed in that, but a place that you could start a conversation when considering how good this North Carolina team really is. Let's go to James in Clemens, who wants in on the Tar Heels. James... Looking at North Carolina, where things stand right now, how do you feel about them? I feel good because, you know, it's the beginning of the season. But I guess I just always wonder, why do we judge, like you just said, Wake Forest, all you have to do is win. But when it comes to Carolina, if they just win they and they don't win convincingly. What sport are we talking some, about? Carolina basketball. Okay, we're talking about basketball now. Okay, well, the answer is because... Wake Forest doesn't have a number next to its name. North Carolina has the number one next to their name. So expectations are different. 
I, I'll accept that. And do you think by chance that the uh, volunteers are going to uh, get into the playoffs? Okay. Even if LSU. That's interesting. Wins out. See, you're worried about LSU. I am not. Thank you for the call, by the way. That would not be my chief concern for Tennessee because LSU lost by a lot at home to Tennessee, and they have multiple losses. Those are two notches against LSU that are in Tennessee's favor. So you shouldn't worry if you're a Tennessee fan about LSU. The only team you should be worried about that could come from behind and potentially take that number four spot from you is Clemson. That's it. Listen to the back end of the CFP rankings. The the committee's telling you what they want to happen or what would happen if Clemson wins out based on who is on the back end of those rankings. NC State staying ranked at 24 matters because Clemson has a win against them. FSU's ranking, Notre Dame's ranking. Those, those things matter. So that's the team I wouldn't write off. If I'm Tennessee, I'm focused on the Yarns team down in Clemson because that's the only team I could see coming from behind and taking that number four spot from Tennessee if it were to come down to that. Elsewhere in college football, this weekend is ripe for shakeup in the top 10. It almost seems like this weekend's being written off. College game day, they're in Bozeman. There's not a big game. They're in Bozeman, Montana. Last weekend was pretty quiet, too. You know, almost too quiet. Where nothing really changed in the top four or five of the college football playoff rankings. It almost seems like we're all just looking ahead to when Ohio State plays Michigan. When... Notre Dame faces USC. And if I've learned anything in following college football as long as I have, when you least expect carnage in college football, that's when carnage appears. USC is the first team that's bound to lose. Notice, James, I didn't bring up USC as being a team that you should be worried about. They played one ranked team this year. They lost to that ranked team. They are the most overrated team in college football. Either North Carolina should be five spots higher than where they're at, or USC should be five spots lower because they pretty much have the same resume. UCLA dropped 60 on USC last year. And is coming off a loss themselves. So you know they're going to be juiced up. They're on their home field. And USC's offense... They're going to be without Tyshawn Dye, which is a huge deal for them if you've watched USC play. He was carted off last week. So that's where I start with USC in the top 10 potentially going down. And also, I think TCU is going to lose this weekend too. They're doing L. They've really gone against it. They've rallied from behind in so many games. They've battled in close games. They played so many good teams. And Baylor's another one. And the game's in Waco, which is not an easy place to win. So those are two that I have circled, USC and TCU, and that would shake up a lot of things. Ohio State and Michigan should both be careful. Ohio State going to College Park, Michigan facing Illinois, maybe even LSU after this gauntlet schedule they face, playing an underrated UAB team in Death Valley, even though that's a night game, so I think LSU should be able to survive. 
It's ripe for shakeup this weekend. That's what I see. High school football state playoffs enter round three tonight. Ding, ding, ding. Round three. And Dave Pulaski is on the call each and every week for us. Since we have Duke basketball on our airways, WSJS tonight, go to WSJS.com exclusively to listen to Grimsley Independence tonight. Dave, appreciate the time as always. Can high school football in this region feel much bigger than Grimsley facing Independence? No question. I mean, this is a tremendous matchup. Two big market schools, two schools with so much history, 15 combined state championships between them. I mean, this is worthy of a regional final, and we're only halfway through the playoffs. Yeah, it's, it looks like a game that could be state championship caliber later on tonight. How does this Grimsley team compare to the other title contenders we've seen in recent years? You know, that's a great question because on, on paper, you would think that with you know guys like Alonzo Barnett at quarterback and Travis Shaw at defensive end and then Jamal Jarrett in the middle on the defensive line that the, you know, that the talent level would be a little bit different uh, in favor of those older Grimsley teams. But this uh, unit just plays so well together. And uh, that's one of the reasons why they're 12-0 and this season. They've only had uh, you know, a couple of close calls. They had the game uh, against Reagan in week two in which they rallied to win. They had to hold on against Page near the end of the regular season. But, I mean, this is such a strong team. And they had what uh, Coach Dale Brown calls their best performance of the season, taking down Charlotte Catholic last week, 42-30. to uh, An impressive performance all around against a tough Cougar squad. Dave Pulaski with us here. Shoot him a follow on Twitter. You can find him at Dave Pulaski. He's got Independence and Grimsley tonight. You can listen to the game right here on WSJS. We talking about a 7 o'clock kick again? Uh, 7.30. 7.30, so 7 o'clock pregame. You could listen to that on WSJS. What's the setup tonight with uh, temperatures starting to approach freezing when things get dark? Yeah, I, right now I'm walking without the winter coat on because I'm, I'm trying to tough it out at least until the sun goes down. But uh, I'm going to be bundled up. I got the winter hat with me. I got the gloves with me. I'm all ready to go for that uh, once it starts to chill out and once we get to work kickoff time. But for now... It's actually pretty comfortable. It's about 50. There's not a cloud in the sky as I'm walking around Jamison Stadium right now. It, it's beautiful. It's perfect for uh, playoff football. Are we outside? Uh, no, we're inside. Okay. I'm just I'm walking around outside right now. I'm just kind of taking it in, and, you know, putting up our putting up our WSJS banners uh, near the stadium entrance so everybody can see uh, who's broadcasting the game when when they all arrive and it should be a huge crowd tonight. So. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of enjoying the moment here, that, that moment of solitude before everything gets crazy. Got a nugget to share with me on the way out? How about the fact that Independence missed the playoffs in five of the previous six years before this season? You know, you're, you're so used to them being that dominant uh, state title winner and, and the, you know, the dynasty from the early and mid-2000s, but they went through some really tough times uh, during the last several years, but they got D.J. McFadden as their head coach, who was the quarterback for Independence, during those last two state title teams in 05 and 06. So now all of a sudden, within two years, he's turned that program around. And with his vision, they're back to being state title contenders once again. Dave, have a great call tonight. Thanks for making the time, and we will talk to you next week. Appreciate it as always, Josh. We'll recap the week in the most efficient way possible. 
in a segment we call Keep It Simple Momentarily. Before we get to that, though, last night on WSJS, the Tennessee Titans went into Lambeau and beat the Green Bay Packers. Green Bay is now 4-7 and seven on the season, and it sure feels like they are toast. They're not going to bounce back from this. They are not going to be a playoff team. That's what I mean when I say that. They're toast. And the NFC is not as good as the AFC is this year. We followed that close enough just with the way that the NFC South has performed. It's pretty obvious that the AFC is the superior conference, but even in the NFC, Green Bay at 4-7 and seven is going to be, in all likelihood, two games back of a wild card spot with five or six weeks left to go after this Sunday. If Washington wins against Houston, who only has one win so far this year, that's a team that has a tiebreaker over you that you're two games back of. So trying to erase that type of deficit this late in the year when you haven't shown much of anything, that's unrealistic at this point. And in the six games they have remaining, half of them are against teams that have at least seven wins. That's what's crazy to me. There are five teams in the league that have seven wins or more. And Green Bay is going to face three of them in their final six games. Next week, they're going to be at the Philadelphia Eagles. They've got to play the Minnesota Vikings. They've got to face a lot of, they have the New York Giants, I still think, left to go. They have a lot of really good teams that are left on the schedule, or they have to go to the Miami Dolphins. It's not going to be easy. It's a really difficult schedule, and it's hard not to think that some of this falls on coaching. Matt LaFleur, you've inherited this quarterback, and what have you done with it? How many playoff wins have you got? You didn't even make it to the Super Bowl one time, and you might miss the playoffs now? That's tough. When you have the quarterback, then you can win Super Bowls. You need the quarterback to do that. But when you have the quarterback and you don't make the playoffs, you fall in danger of potentially losing your job. As crazy as that sounds at Green Bay this year, LaFleur, it feels like, has underperformed in the last few years. This Green Bay team is not going to be a playoff team, and that is crazy considering how bad the NFC looks right now. Let's get to a week recap, an end-of-week recap. that We call it, uh, keep it simple. Five words or less. It's simple, man. That's all Josh gets to tell you where your favorite teams are at. It's as marvelous and as simple as that. Let's keep it simple. Okay. We're keeping it simple. Recap of the week on this Friday. It's time at 4.35 Eastern Standard to get our dance on, to get into the dancing club, to get our dancing shoes on for a dance break. Curtis Bell. Yeah! I don't like it. Well, it's, that's just too bad. You're getting a headbutt anyway. I'm ready to go tonight. Yeah. I'm very excited about it. I'm ready to go. Best in college. That's me. <laughs> Let's take a daiquiri timeout. 
me when I was in college, what Hubert Davis just said right there. Can we play that again? Me getting ready to go out and my fellas are like, are we ready to go? Are we going to, we going to hit the club tonight? Here's, here's my mindset. I'm ready to go tonight. I'm very excited about it. I'm ready to go. It's me. Ready to go. And we're ready to go in this segment. Okay. What do you have first? Uh, UNC locking up the Coastal. We've been all over it. Last year, we got Pitt right. We were the only folks to pick Pitt in the preseason. Only 18 media members picked North Carolina this year. We were one of those 18. And we were all over the the, the Drake May Heisman case. Drake May for Heisman on the 1st of October while we were sitting at the Carolina Classic Fair. We've been all over it with this Tar Heel football team. We'll do clown suits and otherwise whenever we're wrong, and we'll own that when we get things wrong. But when we're right, we're going to spike the football, and this is one of those instances where we can spike the football. The tragedy in UVA. I'm glad they're not playing, at least for this weekend. I saw that on the ACC network tomorrow at 3.30, they're going to air the funeral service for Deshaun Perry, Devin Chandler, and Lavelle Davis Jr. Also, just retweeted this on my Twitter page, Virginia basketball plays tonight in Vegas against a top five ranked Baylor team. And UVA is going to have warm-up shirts that have the numbers of those three players on it. And they're going to have some other warm-ups that have another T-shirt that has their names on it, Chandler, Davis, and Perry. Or that's going to be on the back of their warm-up shirt that says UVA Strong on it with those numbers. And those numbers will also appear on their jersey as well, right above the Nike logo on the shoulder. Selfishly, I'd like to see them play again, but if they don't want to, I don't want them to play, period. But I'm glad that they're not playing this weekend, at least. Sam Hartman finally making himself available to the media. <laughs> it was now or never. If, if you're not going to speak before your senior day when you're the greatest quarterback in Wake history, arguably, well, I guess we're just not going to hear from you again. He might. Man, he's been here so long. He's probably just become sick with us. That's possible. He doesn't like doing the media stuff. That's fine. But the frustrating thing is he's so good at it. And when he does speak, it's so interesting. So we want to speak to the guy more. And also, when every other school has a standard that they make their quarterbacks available, and I mean every other school, we kind of expect that maybe we'll catch up with the guy more than once every three and a half weeks but it was good to hear from him duke kansas coach k's absence was noticed for a few games didn't really notice it it took duke losing for me to notice the difference not as much vitriol not as much did duke win last night ha 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 no type of jokes none of that the game was officiated differently it felt like by Roger Ayers and company in the Champions Classic. That's when it was noticeable for the first time that, oh, Coach K is not there anymore, and it's John Shire. 
Carolina basketball through their first three games. Something's up beneath the surface. Something's happening. Listen to Hubert Davis's 10 minutes after the Gardner-Webb game. Who's he talking to when he's talking about the JV team's not worried about NIL deals and playing time and their NBA draft status and dealing with parents? Who's he talking to? Who's he talking about? And when he's talking about effort, whose effort? Everybody's effort? Not R.J. Davis's effort. Whose effort are you speaking about? Something's happening beneath the surface. LaMelo Ball getting hurt again. Listen to the basketball gods. Please, Michael Jordan. Please, Mitch Kupchak. Please, Steve Clifford. Look at the writing on the wall and understand this season is not going to go your way. I think Mitch Kupchak's a really good GM. I think he's competent. Michael Jordan needs to assure him, listen, if you go and tank, we're, you're going to have a job waiting for you because it feels like that's the only thing holding Charlotte back from fully embracing things and shipping off parts like P.J. Washington or Kelly Oubre or Gordon Hayward or Terry Rozier and making this team bad enough that it can get the number one pick in Victor Webanyama or at worst, the number two pick in Scoot Henderson. That's what Charlotte needs to do, and this is just another example. Charlotte having its star player come back for just two games before he steps on the foot of a fan courtside and he's out again. And last one, Ben McAdoo's press conference this week. What did we learn there? McAdoo... Almost said something I can't say on the radio. (laughs) McAdoo loves the winter season. Yeah, he does. He does. Who knows? Might be some snow in Baltimore. I love it. Oh, we're going to call plays differently. We love to run the ball. I like it when it gets cold. Big fan of McAdoo's work. And that's been Keep It Simple for this week. One more dance break. That's true. Well played. Hayes Permar. Hot rock! Hot rock! I like it when it cools down a little bit, you know? I, I just like the crispness in the air. They're going to get it regardless, David. I'm just excited. Erroneous! Erroneous! Permar! The meatloaf! Living the dream. Where'd you get that girl? I'm just excited. Oh, I'm hang gliding, honey. Take a good picture. I'm dead. Seems like you liked Wedding Crashers. <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> Is that the number one among movies that we've made you watch so far? Of comedies. What's I, I, the number one not comedy? Uh, Godfather, hands down. Okay. Yeah. Good answer.